0: There are uh, some texts which uh, are really dictated by tradition that we we reference at the holidays and they're found in our Moxer and I'm going to mention one in just a second. Uh, This evening I I was going back and forth on what to talk about. And uh, I thought it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a bit of an overview of the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. But of course, it's always important to pull an illustration or a story, something to frame it with. And so I went online and I found a great little story. It's a children's story with a moral. And uh, it's really, I think, uh, a great story to frame the, uh, the emphasis of this holiday. So listen as I read this story called The Fireman. Many, many years ago... Before there was, were any fire engines or fire brigades, or electric fire alarms, or, and most houses were built of wood, a fire was a terrible thing. A whole town or a good part of it could go up in flames and smoke. And so when fire broke out, everyone left his business or work and rushed to help put out the fire. There used to be a watchtower that was taller than the other buildings where a watchman kept the lookout all the time. As soon as he saw smoke or fire, he would sound the alarm. The townspeople would then haul, form a human chain between the fire and the nearest well and pass on to each other pails of water with which to put out the fire. Once it happened that a lad from a small village came to town for the first time. He stopped at an inn on the outskirts of the town. Suddenly he heard the sound of a bugle. He asked the innkeeper what it meant. Whenever we have a fire, the innkeeper explained to the lad, we sound the bugle, and the fire is quickly put out. How wonderful, thought the village lad. What a surprise and sensation I will bring to my village. Thereupon the village lad went and bought himself a bugle. When he listened to his village, I mean, when he returned to his village, he was full of excitement. He called all the villagers together. "Listen, good people," he exclaimed. "No need to be afraid of fire anymore. Just watch me and see how quickly I will put out a fire." Saying this, he ran to the nearest hut and set fire to its straw roof. The fire began to spread very quickly. "Don't be alarmed," cried the lad. "Now watch me." The lad began to blow the bugle with all of his might interrupting it only to catch his breath and to say, Wait! This will put out the fire in no time. But the fire did not seem to care much for the music and merely hopped from one roof to another until the entire village was in flames. The villagers now began to scold and curse the lad. You fool! they cried. Did you think that the mere blowing of the trumpet will put the fire out? It is only the call of an alarm to wake up the people if they are asleep. Or to break them away from their business and work and send them to the well to draw water to pull out the fire. We're reminded of this story when we think of the shofar that has sounded many times in Rosh Hashanah. Some people think, like that village lad, that the sound of the shofar itself will do everything for them. They think that they may continue to sleep or go about their business There being no need to change their way of life and daily conduct. The shofar sounded in the synagogue will surely bring them a happy new year. But, like the bugle in the story, the shofar is but the sound of an alarm. It has a message. Wake up, you sleepers. Think about your ways. Return to God. Put out the fire that is threatening to destroy your Jewish homes. Go to the well the well of living waters, the Torah, the Messiah, and mitzvot, before hurry, before it is too late. I thought that's a great story to begin with in regards to a talk about the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Turn with me, please, to page 123 in the Moxer. On page 123, we have the additional reading for Rosh Hashanah. And it's this small little section of text that I want to use this evening to challenge us. Just as the story said, the shofar blast should awaken us. It's not there to entertain us. It's not even entertaining. (laughs) The shofar blast is not a beautiful sound. It is an alarming sound. It's an alarming sound to wake us up to our need, and Rosh Hashanah specifically, it's our need for spiritual and personal change. Change. That's the word. Rosh Hashanah is a call to action. A shofar, a call to action. That's what I want us to think about this evening. By the way, if you have your announcement sheets, all these notes are on there. For the most part, if you like taking notes, feel free to grab that and follow along. Because I want to make a couple of simple points. It's not going to be a long message for those of you who keep track. Uh, But uh, I do want to get a point across this evening. Numbers chapter 29 verses 1 through 6. It says, and in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, You shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no common labor. It shall be for you a day for signing the shofar. And you shall make a burnt offering for a sweet aroma to the Lord. One young bullock, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meal offering shall be a a flour mixed with oil, three-tenth measures for the bull two-tenth measures for the ram, and one-tenth measure for each lamb, for the seven lambs and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the burnt offerings of the month, and its meal offerings, and the daily burnt offering and its meal offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinances, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. I would like to point out what I consider to be the main points of this text in regards to Rosh Hashanah. First, I want to point out that Rosh Hashanah is inconvenient. Rosh Hashanah is inconvenient. How many of you said, ah, Rosh Hashanah is late this year? Or maybe last year you said Rosh Hashanah was really early. The Jewish holidays, as a rule, are never on time. They're either early or late, they're always at an inconvenient moment. When is Christmas? December 25th, every single year. And so I want to begin by pointing out that Rosh Hashanah is inconvenient. And the reason why is God dictates the dates, we don't. You ever thought about that? God dictates the dates, we don't. It's inconvenient for us, but for God, it comes right on time. All right? Second point. Rosh Hashanah is disruptive. Rosh Hashanah is disruptive. It's disruptive to our routines. And if we really follow it the way God intends, it's disruptive to our finances. I had to go buy fish for gefilte fish a couple of days ago. $78.70 for white fish, or whatever it is my wife uses to make gefilte fish for her family. That is financially ridiculous. But it's Rosh Hashanah. It's disruptive to my budget because it's an important holiday and I have to submit to it. Rosh Hashanah is disruptive though. Alright? It's disruptive to the routines God says in the text here. On the seventh month and the first day you shall have a holy convocation. So when the time comes in its inconvenient moment, it disrupts our patterns doesn't happen on a Saturday or a Sunday every year at the same time this year it's Wednesday night Wednesday night Thursday next year it's a Sunday night Monday Eugene was here he could tell us when it would take place for the next 20 years Rosh Hashanah is disruptive but I want to point out in the text God commands us to gather yes it is disruptive it's disruptive for us it breaks up our routines, but for God, it's part of His plan for our lives. God commands us to gather in a mikrokodosh, a holy assembly. Why do we meet in Rosh Hashanah? Why does our synagogue meet in Rosh Hashanah? God commands it. That's true. We don't have to meet Erev as well as in the morning, but that's our tradition. That's an ancient Jewish tradition, and so we keep it. But fundamentally, God has commanded us to gather. For some of us, we struggle with that, don't we? We gather out of convenience. If it's not convenient, we don't gather. Well, that's wrong. It's sinful. You're breaking God's instruction. God commands us to gather in a holy community, whether it's convenient or not. Also, God commands us to take the day off, even if we need the money. You ever thought about that? That's tough. That's a really tough one. God says, take the day off. You shall do no common labor. Your normal routine in business, you should not do. You should take it off. It's not my idea. Probably, certainly not your idea. But it definitely is God's idea. He commands it. He commands it. It's what it says in the text. You shall do this. And you shall do that. Rosh Hashanah is disruptive. It messes with our schedules. Messes with our finances. Especially if you don't get paid, if you don't show up. Yet God commands that we take the day and we set it aside. Also, it's interesting, Rosh Hashanah is cacophonous. Cacophonous. I was looking for the right word to use here. It is a noisy holiday. But it's not just noise. Come again. Hopefully you'll be here for Rosh Hashanah services tomorrow morning when we blow shofar. The shofar is noisy. But it's not just noisy as in the kids are making noise. It's noisy in this strange, unique way. It's cacophonous. Alright? God shatters our complacency at Rosh Hashanah. That's the point. He, He shatters our complacency with this odd sound that pierces through. Because He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to make us uncomfortable at Rosh Hashanah. To make us uneasy. Put us on edge. For some of us, our teeth go on edge when we hear the shofar sound. Especially if someone's not so good at it. Right? But that's what Shoshana. What does it say in the text? It says simply, you shall blow the, the shofar. The sounding of... And it doesn't even say shofar, by the way, in the text. It simply says, Yom Atrua, The day of blowing. But back then they didn't make you know, metal trumpets. They made things you can blow with out of reeds and the horns of animals and it wasn't the beautiful sounds that we're so familiar with today. It was a rougher, edgier sound. It's because God likes to wake us up. He likes to make us uncomfortable. Rosh Hashanah is cacophonous. It's cacophonous. It really is there to shake our complacency. And then finally Rosh Hashanah is messy. If we took the time and we reread that section, we would notice it's all about sacrifices. It says, and you shall make a burnt offering of a box of tostios. No. You take all these animals and you cut them up into pieces. And not after it's processed into a best kosher hot dog. Never mind, that doesn't exist anymore, thanks to Sarah uh, Hebrew national hot dogs. In other words... It's a mess. It's a bloody mess. Have you ever thought about the messiness of the holidays that we celebrate? Whether it's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shemini Yatzeret, Pesach, Shavuos. They all involve bloody sacrifices in one way or another. But Rosh Hashanah doesn't have a lot to it except for make a big noise. And kill some animals. Anybody here going to go out and kill an animal tomorrow? Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully not. Why does God give us a messy Rosh Hashanah? Because God wants us to remember the, the whole concept of personal sacrifice. God demands personal sacrifice. The people were to take their animals and sacrifice them. Personal cost. Rosh Hashanah is inconvenient, it's disruptive, it's cacophonous, and it's messy. So, what does it have to do with us? You may say, I just like going to services for Rosh Hashanah, uh, you know, for Yom Kippur, to hear the, 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 the liturgy, eat some food, because the food's always better than the rest of the year for the most part, except for Arab Yom Kippur. What's the point? Well, that's what I want to talk about now. It is now Rosh Hashanah. And so what I'd like to do is challenge you to consider this portion of text, which we've just looked at, as a shofar blast to wake you up toward the the higher calling God has for your life. I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine today who's here in Skokie. And we both talked about the fact that it just seems like there is a spiritual malaise over our nation. Just the way he see it, he's part of a huge denomination in America. And all their reports are very obvious that there is a spiritual malaise. If you read recently, the Southern, the Southern Baptists, which are a huge Christian denomination, they're finally admitting that they're getting smaller. <laughs> There's a spiritual malaise. I mean, the Jewish community, uh, in terms of our synagogue attendance, it's, it's really in trouble. You know, I mean, we're losing all kinds of people and all the crazy things people do to try and keep young Jews in the synagogues don't seem to work. We must be doing something right here because we have more young people than older people in our synagogue. But the bottom line is generally there is a spiritual malaise. And really, among those who claim to be followers of Messiah Yeshua, this spiritual malaise is there too. And I think part of the reason, a big chunk of the reason, is people have literally forgot to look toward the higher calling God has for us and for our lives God has a higher calling for us so I want to talk about this higher calling in reference to what we discussed with Rosh Hashanah first you have a higher calling than to please yourself that might seem really odd but you have a higher calling than to please yourself God wants you to please Him with your time God wants you to please him with your time, not yourself. What does that look like? Well, I have a question. What is your time investment with God? What is your time investment with God? Are you spiritually bankrupt? Think in terms of investing. I mean, several of you I know. We talk about finances, and you know that if you're 25 years of age and you put $100 in, the, in, in investments, and, and the, you know the uh, you know the China doesn't default and it's long, all of its debt, and America doesn't default. Generally, in 50 years, you'll retire a multimillionaire, You know, a little bit of investment, a little over right, a little bit of investment over time, you'll do well. That slow, steady. Rate of return over time. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But are you practicing it spiritually speaking? 30 minutes of daily scripture reading and prayer. Not much of an investment. But you know what? Most people who profess faith in Messiah Yeshua don't do that. I talk to numerous believers who do not read their text. They don't read their text. They don't read the scriptures. They just don't why they just as i would someone as the pastor said they people are in rebellion against god they just don't want to do what god wants them to do i mean if you're not investing a little bit of time every day in reading the scriptures spending time in prayer to god 30 minutes minimum you're not investing into your spiritual maturity you are if not, you're, you're you're definitely heading towards spiritual bankruptcy too. Shabbat services and midweek studies are small groups. You know, most people, even in our Messianic Jewish community, they attend services once a week, if that. And I was in Florida just the other day, talking to a couple other spiritual leaders. You know, there, it's you know, it seems like it's so different. Talking to this one leader. Uh, who's up in the northern part of Florida, and he's talking about how it's just so hard to get people to consistently come once a week. Well, in my, in my estimation, then, God certainly isn't very important to them. Yeah, how many of you know NCIS has started up their new season? Anybody aware of that? The things that draw our time... Most often are things that don't matter at all. But meeting together, God has commanded us to meet on Shabbat. It's a mikra kodesh. We're supposed to set it aside as Jewish people. The Shabbat is a sign between God and Israel. We are obligated as Jews to meet on the Shabbat. To set it aside. To not do our own work. To not do work at all. To not do our own pleasure. It says in the prophetic literature. God commands us to gather. But if all you do is even just show up once a week and that's it for a couple hours max, you're in and you're out, that's insufficient too. In the book of Acts, it talks about the believers gathering regularly, and there it's on a daily basis. Some of you might say, "Well, Boy, if I spent every single day of the week with that rabbi, I'd go crazy. Yeah, it's true. Ask my wife, ask my kids. But... You don't have to spend every day with me, but it'd be good if you spent a couple days a week with other believers, other followers of Messiah, whether in this community or outside this community, for encouragement, for spiritual strengthening, for service, because that's the other thing. One of the things that's so important is not just showing up, but actually participating at a high level, committedly using your time to spiritually impact others. Whether that's just, you know, uh, encouraging people in the community, or teaching, or serving with the nursery, or helping in the in the uh, kitchen, praying with people who are in need, vacuuming. Think of Norm Nowak, who was the Cohen. He was a Cohen vacuumer here at the synagogue for several months. You know, what are you doing with your time? Investing for God. How are you investing your time with God? Are you spiritually bankrupt? Something that you want. Something to think about. Just remember that uh, our high calling is to use the time that, uh, that God has given us for Him and for His glory and for the building up of His kingdom and for the proclamation of our Messiah, Yeshua. Now also, we have a higher calling uh, in regards to something else. You know, we, we, have a, we, we obviously do not exist just to please ourselves. Again, that's, that's really the way of the world in which we live, right? That's what people do. People do what makes them happy. It doesn't say anywhere in the biblical text, more than anything else, make yourself happy. It never says that. It actually says in several places, don't serve yourself, serve others, in a par- paraphrase. But this one hits us specifically as Jewish people. We need to please God... We need to please God with our heritage. As Jewish people who profess faith in Messiah Yeshua, we have a responsibility before God to please Him with who we are. With who we are. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spent time... In, uh, in Kansas City with Mike Bickle, who's this big pastor dude at this IHOP thing. Nice guy, really nice guy. Uh, and I uh, spent a little time with him. We're going to be going back there in a couple of weeks, I think. And the one challenge I had for him is, does he understand the importance of Romans chapter 11 in regards to the Jewish remnant? <laughs> and he said, no, no, uh, no, don't understand that. It's fascinating to me. But it's also fascinating to realize that most Jewish people who profess faith in Jesus as Messiah don't understand Romans 11 either. They don't understand who they are as part of the remnant of Israel. What is it? Maybe 1% of our Jewish people believe in Yeshua. 1%? Maybe less. We are that strange little grouping known as the remnant the faithful followers of the God of Israel because we accept the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua. But unfortunately, most of us, when we come, faith, come to faith in, in Messiah Yeshua, we become Christian. And I, I use that in a, in a sociological sense. We, we basically disconnect from our Jewish world. Obvious for most of us, is because there wasn't a whole lot there spiritually in the first place. But we disconnect and we go into the Christian world. I always joke about the fact that, I don't know how quickly it happens, but take a Jewish kid who was listening to, you know, secular music. Next thing you know, he's listening to 94.3. When he becomes a believer, Caleb is all over his life. Think, how does that happen? It's because we shift cultures. We we sociologically shift. And it's interesting because it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going into a more radical commitment of faith it's just about sociology it's about categories but this is what God wants for us to think about and Rosh Hashanah is a good holiday to think about it is the fact that we are part of a unique category the category of the remnant those unique individuals God has plucked from loss from the Jewish people and, and provided salvation through their faith in Messiah Yeshua So that we might be a testimony to our people, as well as to the nations. That the nations would be blessed with the knowledge that the God of Israel is still actively working among the Jewish people. So the question I have is this. What is your Jewish commitment on Rosh Hashanah? What is your Jewish commitment on Rosh Hashanah? And are you indeed a member of Israel's remnant? Now again, if you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, then you are. If you are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But, do you see yourself in that light? That's really the question. See, your position within the Jewish community has eternal significance. Again, too often people don't understand this. Too often the Jewish believers I meet in churches just don't understand this. Too many of the Messianic Jews that I interact with in our Messianic congregations do not understand this. There is a unique a unique spiritual, eternal significance for who you are. Not because you're great. It's just because of who you're connected to. And with that connection comes important responsibility. But you have to be willing to understand it. If you believe in an eternal significance for the Jewish people, then as a Jew who believes in Yeshua, you need to live like you really believe it. You need to take what is Jewish identity and choose to live it out. You can see this when it comes to your obedience to the Torah. Your obedience to the Torah. The unique realities of God's instruction of the Jewish people found within the biblical text. It's a reflection, frankly, in my mind, of your spiritual maturity. If a Jewish person is ignoring the Torah, then to me it is a sign of their misunderstanding of the biblical text. And again, I'm not talking here about all the minhagim and the customs of our people. I mean, there really are a lot of different minhagim, a lot of customs. The more I interact, with, especially with religious Jews, they differ on everything. Okay? But the big stuff within the biblical text... These are guides for us so that we might live out God's instructions as his remnant. We need to understand that. Our obedience to the Torah is a reflection of our spiritual maturity. Now, but your observance of the Torah is a sign of the value of your testimony. That also is very important. People need to see God living out of your life. I've been saying this a lot lately. It is what people see that's more important. Religiosity, people don't need to see religion. People are, people are tired of religiosity. So <laughs> the last thing. I mean, we're sitting on Rosh Hashanah. The last thing I want to say to you is be more religious. That's not what people need to see. People need to see the love of God lived through you. We have family members who are not believers in Yeshua. I'm going to see a bunch of them tomorrow night. <laughs> They don't need to hear me talk on about religiosity. They need to know that there is love that I have for them, regardless of who they are and what they say about me. It's the love of God that needs to be seen from our lives. Really, that is the observance of God's instruction. And As Jewish people, part of this is the observance of God's unique instruction for us, that is visible through the testimony of our lives. But also it's not just your life. If you're married, it's your spouse's life. If you have kids, it's their lives. The testimony of our lives. The observance of God's instruction. I often talk about my brother Joseph. My brother Joseph is not a believer. I like to point out, you know, he is so jaded by religious people. Uh, it's, it sometimes is hilarious. He has seen, I think, every possible bad example of faith. And uh, he knows me. He, he respects me to some extent. You know, but, uh, but he's, he's just done with religion. Because so many religious people have just so been such bad examples to him. My prayer as a community is that we would be good examples. That people would look at us individually and they would see the truth of God, the truth of Yeshua's Messiahship, and the truth of this whole understanding that that God has indeed kept our people. Tomorrow, you know, hopefully we'll have some people here. There's some people that I know are planning to come. We're not believers in Yeshua. And, and frankly, they're curious. <laughs> they're curious to understand how there can be a synagogue of Jewish people that believe in Jesus. You know? And I said, just come and see. Just come and see, you know. And hopefully what we will show is love. And hopefully what they will see are a bunch of Jews worshiping in a Jewish way in Rosh Hashanah because we love God and we believe in our Messiah. And we want people to know. The observance of our, the, the observing, our observance, the importance of testimony. Finally, uh, you have a higher calling than to please yourself. Again, you know that. We've talked about that twice already. But uh, on this last point, I want to emphasize the issue of generosity. We need to please God with our generosity. We need to please him with our time. We need to please him with our heritage. We need to please him with our generosity. And on this, I'm going to ask the question, where is your treasure invested? Where is your treasure invested when it comes to the things you have? your possessions and really the question is are you stealing from god and i'm not going to read in the prophetic literature again in the in the tanakh about this because this is in a couple of different places Uh, in the tanakh where god is kind of getting down on our people because we're being stingy with god god hates stinginess i don't know if you guys are aware of that god is a generous god Why is he generous? Look around the room. We still exist as a people. God is gracious and merciful and generous to us. How many of you really deserve what you have? Not too many of us. Some of you are really nice people. A lot of you, God is kind. Myself too. But I want to point out, again, when we look at this text, with the holidays... God is challenging us at the holidays to be generous with him in regards to our time and regards to our resources because all these offerings cost us money. And all of these days mean loss of work. Many years ago, I went up and was speaking in Wyoming and Nebraska and different places. And, and uh, I remember calling a pastor. Hey, you know, he wants you to come back. And I'm giving him dates. He says, oh, you can't come on these dates because this is when all the, all the ranchers are gone because their animals are giving birth and they don't come to church. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, or some of the farmers. You know, the farmers, you know, they, they, their calendar very much is dictated by their work including around the farm and how it affects their religious observance and the problem is is that within the Torah none of that is acceptable God doesn't say oh I understand many of you will come up and you will say to me oh Rabbi I gotta work and I'm gonna go okay I understand I understand because what choice do I have what am I gonna do rag on you hawk you I guess I could some of you I do every once in a while God doesn't understand doesn't understand. When you're not generous with God, as it says in the prophetic literature, to Him it is you stealing from Him, whether it's your time or your resources. If you're the sort of person that's stingy with your time when it comes to God, you're not reading your scripture, you're too busy for God, you show up for services when it's convenient, you're not really doing anything to serve anybody but yourself. God keeps track of all that stuff. He does. Because He withholds blessings from people maybe you never thought about that before we're living in a society especially among believers where we just think God is pretty much happy with us all the time God is this overly indulgent grandparent type figure up in the heavens someplace who pretty much puts up with us God's love is amazing it really is so I'm not trying to downplay that but I am trying to say that God desires to bless us but he has his expectations of us He doesn't really know. He doesn't understand. (laughs) He's not giving you a free pass. Unfortunately, he's basically saying, okay, these are your decisions. And the blessings I have for your life, I'm not going to be able to bless you with in these situations because you're just not following my instructions. How do I say this? Why do I say this? Again the prophetic literature God comes down on them because they're not keeping the Shabbat they're not giving them their time they're not giving their tithes they're not giving the the full amount of what God's expecting of them to to supply the the work of, of the temple and all that's going on and so God says so I'm going to withhold the blessing would you please do what I ask so that I can open the doors of heaven and dump all this junk on you guys and bless you but no you don't want to do it so I'm going to keep the padlock on the doors and I'm not going to bless you God has a higher calling for us. It's to please him with our generosity, to be generous toward him with our time and with our resources. And holding back, holding back on God will leave you spiritually bankrupt. It will. It impacts you. Being stingy with God is a sign of a cheap and faithless religiosity. Cheap and faithless if you're generous with God, with your time and with your resources, you know what it builds in you? A stronger faith. Stronger faith. Uh, sometimes I, I, I just think, God, God, I can't do what you want me to do. And God always says, here, here's some more. Here. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, how does all this get done? I don't know how it all gets done. I do whatever God wants me to do, and God makes it all work out. I figure it's a good program. It's a good plan. As long as I'm doing what he wants me to do, things seem to be going well. Have that kind of an attitude. Don't be stingy with God. Whether it comes to your time or your resources, be generous toward God. You know there's things that God wants you to do, not the least of which is to be here serving within this community, financially supporting this community. Be generous toward God be generous and see how the lord your god will bless you the higher calling of god is inconvenient disruptive cacophonous and messy it really is it really really is but the shofar sound awakens us to our personal need for spiritual change seek out god's higher calling for your life seek it out seek out the higher calling God has for your life. You don't just want to mark time. Marking time is a waste of time. It's only what we do for God that lasts. I don't care if you've seen every single episode of anything. It doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Unless you can use it for some outreach thing, okay? It's what we do for God that lasts. Seek out God's higher calling for your life. Please God with your time. Please God with your heritage. Please God with your generosity. Allow the Lord your God to bless you each and every day of this new year. I'm going to close with a word of prayer and then we're going to sing a song and then I'm going to ask Matthew to come back and conclude the service this evening. God, we thank you so much for the challenge of Rosh Hashanah this is not a convenient holiday but I guess in reality God nothing that you want us to do is really convenient most of the time and yet God that's what makes it all so wonderful and amazing you bring us serendipitous opportunities to do amazing things, you break us out of our routines to strengthen us and to give us a variety of life, brings us it's really a spice to add to making life a much better life than it would otherwise be I pray God that each one of us would look at this holiday, and we would see yes some of these challenges, but understand the higher calling that comes out of it all. That we would truly desire to please You with every part of our being. That I pray for our people in this era of Rosh Hashanah, that our people would seek to know You with all of their heart, mind, and soul, and that they would come to a full understanding of who Yeshua our Messiah is. I pray, God, that that information will come to them, whether from a friend, an associate at work, a neighbor, or through your spirit working in some miraculous way, God, that you would indeed save our people and bring them to our Messiah. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.